about that. I'm going to leave it alone. All right? <clears throat> Glad you guys are here. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1, look, this has been a good day in the house of the Lord. I'm going to tell you guys something. Uh, these kids up here, great job leading us in worship. And uh, some of these kids have been here uh, since 8 o'clock this morning. And so, uh, what a great gift. Yeah, congratulate them. And moms and dads for bringing them. Thank you for getting them here. Uh, Acts chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 12, and we're going to go through the end of Acts chapter 1. As you're turning there, uh, I just want to thank Wade for allowing me the opportunity to be here today. I serve with the Mississippi Baptist Convention Board. Uh, Wade is a great friend of mine in the ministry, and I'm so thankful for him and, uh, and the ministry that he's doing here at Longview Point. I'm grateful uh, for you guys. You guys know this already. Uh, but you have been led by two of the greatest in the two Wades that you have had. And Wade is, uh, is a faithful servant of Jesus. And I'm grateful that he has called him here to be your pastor. Also, I want to I tell you guys, uh, from a guy who spends a lot, of times in, a lot of time in churches all over the states, it's what I do, and, uh, and I know all that's going on in the life of uh, Longview Point, and I want you guys to know that you are among the best of Mississippi Baptists. And not only among the best of Mississippi Baptists, but you guys are among the best of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I want to applaud you for faithfully doing the work of the gospel, planting churches in DeSoto County, Mississippi, and around the world, sending missionaries all around the world to share the gospel to those 8 billion people who have yet to hear the gospel. You guys are doing the work that we have been called to as the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that and continue to press forward. You guys are obediently following the command of Jesus and you ought to be commended for that. Thank you. The church, however, is only as strong as the individual's that make it up. The church can only be kingdom-minded if the individuals that are in the church are kingdom-minded. The church can only be missional if the individuals that make up the church determine to be missional. When we read the book of Acts, oftentimes we read it as if it's a playbook for the church, and, and rightfully so, it is. As we read the book of Acts, we find our instructions in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We find how we ought to best organize ourselves. Acts chapter 6 is where we set apart the deacons for the ministry to those inside the congregation. We find even the church planting that you do modeled for us in this book of Acts. It is a guidebook for how we ought to do church. However, I think it's more than that. I think it is also a guide for those of us that are followers of Jesus in how we ought to live our lives. As a matter of fact, if you'll look at your Bible, you will see that the title of this book probably says something like this, Acts of the Apostles. The reason is, is because the men that were found obedient inside of the book of Acts were the tools that God used to accomplish everything that we know of today as the New Testament church. 
as strong as the church is in Acts, it was built on a foundation of strong disciples of Jesus. And so today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I don't want you to look at this passage from the perspective of church health. I want you to look at this passage from the perspective of each individual disciple's health. I want you to look at it from your own perspective, in your own life. As we pull out some of the markers of these first apostles, I want you to ask yourself, is this true in my life? Is this evident in my walk with Jesus? Because again, the church can only be as strong as the disciples are that make up the congregation. So we need to first ask this question on a personal level before we can begin to ask the questions and apply it even on a level of a church as a whole. So if you have Acts chapter 1 verse 12, let's stand together. I'm going to read this morning from the English Standard Version. Not sure what Wade reads from every Sunday, but English Standard Version is what I'll be reading. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, and we're going to read through the entirety of chapter 1. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in his ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go as to his own place. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Would you pray with me? God, this morning as we look at this passage together, God, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves in the lives of these apostles, Lord, to see their faithfulness, Lord, to see their commitment, God, to see, Lord, their desire to be found obedient to the mission that you called them to. God, may we see that in their lives and ask ourselves, 
whether or not, God, we share those same passions. Whether or not, God, we can be seen as these apostles were seen. God, I'm grateful that Longview Point is a strong church. I'm, I'm grateful, Lord, that they're doing a great work for the sake of the gospel. But, Lord, we all desire that they, they be even stronger, that they have an even greater reach. God, that means that we as individual disciples and followers of Jesus, that we have to be stronger, that we have to be more missional, that we have to be more kingdom-minded. So, Lord, this morning, let us look to these examples of these disciples and ask ourselves, Lord, where we need work. Where, God, do we need a heart change? God, where do we need, uh, Lord, to be pressed to a deeper, more intimacy with you? God, use this time together to help us be better disciples. We pray and ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want you to see four marks of these apostles. Four marks of the apostles. I think as we look at them, you will see that everything that they did that we're going to pull out from this passage is something that should be a regular part of our lives as disciples. Everything that we're going to see modeled by them is something that we ought to be able to say should be a normal part of my life as well as a follower of Jesus. The first one is very simply one that you probably could understand and expect at this point is that these apostles were an obedient people. They were an obedient people. If you still have your Bibles open, if you'll look with me in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, we have some instructions from Jesus to these apostles. This is what he says, Acts 1-4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then verse 12 is where we picked up. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. It seems simplistic, does it not? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus tells them, Hey, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. And when you get there, I want you to wait on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says it like this. Go back to Jerusalem. You've heard me say it. John baptized with water. But there will come a day when there is a baptism of the Spirit. So these disciples, these apostles, they have this expectation that there is going to be a new baptism that is going to occur. But if we really think about it, these disciples probably did not know exactly what that looked like, right? They would not have understood exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. We have an advantage over them. We know what happened, but they went anyway, obediently walking in the instructions that Jesus had given to them. It seems so simplistic. And yet, as disciples of Christ in this room, I think we all can, omit, can admit sometimes just simply being obedient to the commands of Jesus is hard, right? Sometimes it's difficult. Jesus has made some things very clear for us that he desires for us to do. And even the things that he's made very clear for us, at times in our lives, it can be difficult to follow them and be obedient. But these disciples went to Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus, really not even understanding what they were waiting on. 
God, and we don't even know what this baptism of the Holy Spirit even looks like. But since Jesus said it, we're going to go and walk toward it and wait on Jesus to do what we know Jesus always does, and that is keep his word. We understand from some understanding of the time period inside of Scripture that from the time that Jesus was resurrected from the grave to the day of Pentecost was 50 days, okay? So from the time that Jesus was resurrected from the grave to the time of the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was 50 days. We also believe that from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven to the day of Pentecost, well, about nine days had passed. So from the day that Jesus says to them, hey, you have heard me say that John baptized with water, but there is coming a baptism of the Spirit. Go to Jerusalem and wait on that baptism there. From that moment to the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the people of God, nine days. Now, when you think about this with me, we were told that it was a Sabbath day's journey to Jerusalem from where they were. So let's say they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. They got to walk in toward Jerusalem, excuse me. They got to Jerusalem. They found the upper room. They sat around the table and they sat and they waited on this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Day one was taken by walking, right? Day two, they waited. Nothing. Day three, they waited. Nothing. Day four, day five, nothing. What day are you checking out? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm checking out probably day four or day five. Maybe it says something about my faith. But I'm beginning to look around the table and say, guys, I heard what Jesus said. But we've been here four days sitting around this table and nothing has happened. You see, you may say, well, I'm going to stay there. I, I would stay until the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's good because there are people in this world that are patient people. And you are one of those. I'm not one of those people. I am an impatient person. I don't like to wait. I am so impatient. I will not wait on the receipt at the pay at the pump. You with me? And if the pay at the pump ain't working, I ain't going in. I'm not a patient person. And yet these disciples going to experience something they had never seen before, walking to a room, sitting around a table, waiting on Jesus, nine days they waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Look, this, is, this happens in all of our lives, does it not? This waiting period. We pray for God to do something and, and it seems like God doesn't do it. You've been there. You ask God to do something and it seems like God is not going to do it. And you pray for day one and you pray day two, day three, day four. And you're like me, you're beginning to grow impatient. And you're saying, God, I have prayed for it. I have asked for it. Why are you not moving on my timeline? We've prayed that God would save people. 
We, we've prayed that God would restore relationships. We've prayed that God would help people overcome addictions in their lives. And we've, we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed. And it seems like God's not moving in it. But what we have to be reminded of is that God doesn't operate on our timeline. He operates on his own. And his is so much better than ours is. These guys couldn't have imagined what was going to come nine days later. But when it came, it changed the world. We are here today because of that nine days of waiting and the coming of the Holy Spirit. You understand that patient obedience, waiting obedience, patient obedience is faithfulness. It's what it means to be faithful. To keep doing what we know we ought to do even when it doesn't seem like God is working on our timeline. That's faithfulness. Just to show yourself faithful, to continue to pray, God, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, to continue to show up here this morning and the, the next Sunday morning and the next Sunday morning, just to continue to show up and be a part of what God is doing here. That patient obedience, that's what faithfulness is. And we see faithfulness modeled for us by these apostles and they were faithful to see not only the Holy Spirit come, but they were faithful to see 3,000 added when Peter gave his sermon. And they were faithful to see thousands more added whenever they healed the lame man. They were faithful, and as a result of their faithfulness and their patient obedience, God rewarded him, not on their timeline, but on his timeline. This is what he's called us to as apostles today, as disciples today. To patient obedience, to faithfulness. Trusting him that his timeline is right and ours is not. And it may take nine days. It may take nine months. It may take nine years. But we can trust him that he's going to do everything that he promised us that he would do. The next thing that I want you to see, that they not only were, were obedient, faithful, patiently obedient, but the second thing was, was that they were unified. They were a unified people as well. Look at verses 13 and 14. 13 goes back through the list of the apostles there. We won't do that again, but, but you have all the names of these apostles here, which are significant. And then in verse 14, it says this. It says, All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Can I tell you that I believe that this is the first miracle in the book of Acts that these disciples were of one accord. It's the first miracle in the book of Acts. And if you don't believe that, put yourself in a room with 11 people and see if y'all are of one accord. Because you're probably not going to be. It's only by a miracle work of God that churches can even be held together with the various personalities that exist even in this room this morning. It is a miracle of God that He calls all of us so uniquely gifted and weird to be able to live together in community. What's interesting is that these names that are listed that we didn't read, but you see them there, all of these guys more than likely would have been to some degree 
Jewish. They would have been to some degree of the same heritage. So there's not really a nationality difference that exists here. I know some of them had Greek names, but, but, but most of them were of the same nationality. And so it's not really a, a nationality thing that separates these guys. It's, it's just who they were made them different, right? You recognize that Jesus, Jesus could have accomplished everything that he wanted and needed to accomplish on this earth without these 11 apostles, right? He didn't need these guys to to do the miracles that he did. He didn't need these guys to go to the cross to die for our sins. He didn't need these guys to be resurrected from the grave. He didn't need them, but he chose to associate himself with these men. And Jesus, very intentionally so, I think, picks a group of misfits, a group of losers, to be honest with you. I mean, you think about it. He, He calls out fishermen to come and follow him and to become fishers of men. I want you to go back and read all of the accounts where Jesus is talking to a fisherman. And you will discover that they were terrible at their job. Every time Jesus encounters them, he says, How many have you caught? And they say, None. And he says, Throw it over to the other side. And they bring in a haul, right? They were terrible at what they did. They were fishermen. I can imagine that these, these, were, these were rough and tough guys, right, that spent all day, every day out in the sun. And then there was Matthew. Y'all remember Matthew? Levi, the tax collector. Opposite, really, of a fisherman. He probably sat underneath a tent all day with somebody fanning him, bringing him some lemonade and taking money from all the people that came about to collect their taxes. I can't, I can't help but think about taxes because it's tax season and nobody's excited about that in this room except CPAs because, you know, they get to work 80 and 90 hours a week. Congratulations. But I want you to think about this. You have these hard-working, self-employed fishermen paired up with the IRS agent Matthew. Right? Matthew's probably asking the fishermen for their 1099s when April comes around. Pestering them. Different. Than, they're, they're different. They're different people. They are unique from each other. And yet somehow, isn't this amazing? Somehow they're sitting in this room together around the table with nothing to do but talk about their differences. And Luke says, they were of one accord. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, says they were of one heart and one mind. Again, in Acts chapter 3, 44, we have the same idea that they were all together. They had everything in common. How in the world is this so? Well, it's very simply because they did not allow their differences to interfere with their mission to which they were called. Everybody in this room is different. We're all unique. But when we get on the same mission, our differences don't matter. 
When we believe together that our call is to be witnesses in all of the world, that's all that we're concerned about and all that we're worried about. And that's what these disciples were. They were so mature in their faith that they didn't allow preferences of other people and other people's opinions to get in the way of the mission to which they had been called. And church, we've got to find ourselves there. So mature in our faith that the mission is so important that we're not going to allow differences of opinions and preferences and how we do it to get in the way of accomplishing that which we have been called. These apostles were sold out. They were sold out for accomplishing what Jesus had instructed them to do. None of that other stuff mattered. And it needs to be true in our lives as well. None of the other stuff can matter, guys. The question is, are we doing what Jesus called us to do? Find the maturity to push everything else out of the way. See, they were, they were united around the same mission. They were obedient even if it meant they had to wait. The third thing that I want you to see is one that I think, again, is one of those that you say, well, yeah, of course, but they were a praying people. It says that in verse 14. It says they were, of in, they were in one accord and they were devoting or devoting themselves to prayer. This word devoting is very interesting. The, the word that we use here in this translation is devoted. Uh, it's honestly because we don't have a strong enough word in the English language to really give us the idea that they're trying to put forth here. It's, 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 it's stronger than devoted because you understand the way that we use devoted in the English language today can, can be really strong, but also it can be very weak, right? We say we're devoted to things like football teams, right? We say we're devoted to things like schools. We say we're devoted to things that are really soft. It's kind of like the way we use love, right? I love my wife, and I also love, you know, a ribeye steak, right? Those are not the same thing, right? We use the same word, kind of like we do the word devoted. But here, the idea is stronger than just devoted, like you're devoted to the 49ers or to the Chiefs. It's bigger than that. It's stronger than that. A better phrase to try to understand what Luke is saying here is that they were, they were stubbornly persistent in prayer together. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread together, to the fellowship with one another. It's the same word. They were stubbornly persistent to these things. You see, the church wasn't just devoted, like we're devoted to things that come and go. No, they, they were stubbornly persistent to being a people of prayer. And do you know why they were stubbornly persistent to prayer? Because this church, in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, had no other choice but to be stubbornly persistent in prayer. They didn't have our resources. They didn't have our reputation in the community. They didn't have a government around them that would even allow them to do what they were doing. And so this church knew all they had was prayer. And so they find themselves not devoted to it only, but stubbornly persistent in it. 
And so as you read the book of Acts, you can, you can go through and read the book of Acts and you can see all the times that they gathered together for prayer and all the times that they prayed, just two or three people gathered or all the disciples in the room, they, they did this consistently. You know why? Because they had to depend upon God if there was going to be movement among the church of Jesus Christ. And thank the Lord they determined to be stubbornly persistent in prayer. Because, listen, the prayers of these apostles in Acts chapter 1 laid the foundation that allows us to meet in this place today. They would have never dreamed there would have been an America, much less a long viewpoint. But they prayed that God would do something bigger than their minds could comprehend. And guess what God did? He did something bigger than their minds could comprehend. See, some of us have bought into this lie that, that you don't know how to pray or that you can't pray. Listen to me very briefly before I move on. That is a lie from Satan that you have bought into. There is no one in this room that can't approach the throne of God through the blood of Jesus. Not one person. You don't have to have the right words to say. You don't have to have eloquence. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, don't be like a Pharisee. You just got to be dependent upon him like these New Testament apostles were. So dependent. We can't do anything on our own. We've got to have you, God. We've got to have your power. The last thing I want you to see quickly is that they were a people who listened. They were a people who listened. You'll see that the latter part of that passage that we read talked about uh, having to replace Judas. Judas, of course, was the one that betrayed Jesus, 30 pieces of silver, bought a field, went to the field, killed himself, uh, we have a very descriptive display of that right from Luke here. Luke gives us information we didn't need to know, but he told us all of that, and, and, and that's there. And so, uh, But then they, they remembered some prophecy that was given to David. David's prophecy basically said, hey, he's going to die, but you need to replace him. And so they look around and say, hey, there's 11 of us. There needs to be 12, so we've got to replace him. How you guys want to go about this? Well, it's got to be somebody that was from the baptism of Jesus all the way to the resurrection. That narrows it down to two. There's only two options, right? Matthias and Justice. So how are we going to decide between Matthias and Justice? And so they said, let's roll dice for it. See who wins, right? And, uh, and that's in essence what they did. I know it's a little bit more complicated than that, but casting lots would have been similar to our understanding of, of rolling dice, right? And so they, they cast lots, and it comes out that Matthias, he is the one that the Lord has chosen to take the place of Judas. And so Matthias begins to serve as an apostle. Now, that's not the way we hear from God anymore, right? You and I should not, we should not cast lots to determine who our pastor is going to be, who our elders are going to be, who our deacons are going to be, right? If, if you're rolling dice to do that, stop it. Find, find another way. Right? I grew up in Philadelphia. We rolled dice on the playground. 
right? And we got in trouble for it. And so it's similar. You'll get in trouble for that. Don't do it that way. That's the way God spoke to his people. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says, The lot lands in the lap, but God reveals his will. You see, for the Old Testament believer, this was the way that God revealed himself. This is the way that God chose his servants. And so it makes sense here for these guys to say, hey, if we want to know God's will for our lives, we need to cast these lots and determine what he desires. The lot fell on Matthias. But listen, in Acts chapter 1, the casting of lots happens, but it never happens again. And do you know why? Because in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. You see, while we might think that casting lots would be easier in our life, oh, if I have two roads in front of me, if I could just cast lots to determine which one that I would walk through, God is screaming to us saying, no, you don't have to cast lots. You don't have to depend upon silly procedures. I dwell in you. You see, these people were willing to listen to God through the means that he had given them to hear from him. And now we have an opportunity to listen to God through the means that he has given to us. And the means that he has given to us is his very presence within each and every one of us. I don't need to cast lots because the Spirit is in my ear. And I know the issue, the issue is, but I can't discern the will of God. I can't hear the voice of God. Well, I will assure you that it is not a fault of the voice of God. It is because our ears have become dumb, not because his voice has become silent. And the solution to hearing the voice of God is real simple. Listen, it is a discipline of prayer combined with the discipline of reading the Word of God, and you will hear the voice of God. I assure you. See, maybe we're missing opportunities in our lives because we're not listening to the voice of God. Maybe we're missing opportunities as individuals because we're not listening and being obedient to the voice of the Lord. Maybe, maybe there's someone in here that, that you've heard the voice of God and you know without a doubt that he's calling you to something. And you have failed to step forward in obedience. See, the apostles wouldn't have understood that because when Jesus gave them instructions, they obeyed immediately even if it meant they didn't understand it. They were faithful. They were faithful around the mission that God had given them to go and be His witnesses, dependent upon Him to guide and direct them. And they listened to Him. And when He instructed, they responded. Let's pray together. God, this church is a strong congregation doing amazing work on your behalf. 
But how much more do you have for them, God? Maybe it means, Lord, that some of us need to grow in our own faith. Maybe it means, God, that we need to commit to be faithfully obedient in whatever it is that you've called us to. We've heard your voice, and now we're going to respond faithfully. Lord, maybe it means we need to become more disciplined in our walk. We need to be more disciplined in prayer. God, we need to be more disciplined in reading your word so that we can be stronger, so that we can expand the kingdom across the street and around the world. Lord, whatever it is that your Holy Spirit has done, I pray that people will respond in obedience. We love you and we ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen.